0: Welcome back to the Barbell Therapy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Brett Scott. Along with me here today is my mentor, Dr. E. Erson Religioso, also known as Modern Manual Therapy. So today we're going to talk a lot about recovery and are you recovering, are you overtraining, and are you just overcomplicating the whole uh, topic of recovery on yourself And uh, some fun facts we have some upcoming things is, uh, I'll actually be starting a course with Erson called modern barbell therapy. So we'll be rolling out a course online and in person soon, where I will be teaching clinicians how to uh, look at strength training and how we can uh, put that into or integrate that into the physical therapy space or movement practice space and giving clinicians the tools they can use to assess things like the deadlift, the squat, the bench press, uh, and even the Olympic lifts and what we can do to treat athletes uh, a little bit better than we have in the past. There's a lot of athletes have come to me where rehab has failed them. So I hope I can bring this to other clinicians that might not have uh, a complete understanding of strength sports and strength athletes and how to best manage them so look for that in the near future and uh urson thanks for coming on
1: yeah thanks for having me brett uh it's always good to be on your podcast i know we swap every once in a while but it's uh yeah i mean in terms of your course i think that is really needed to to i mean i've lifted my entire life um i used to be quite a bit bigger than i am now because mostly i I just run i do lifting enough to, to maintain but yeah even after seeing a couple of your modules i just thought and who had a bench press safely, and then after seeing, you know, someone who almost set the world record in juniors, uh, in her form, I just thought, I don't know anything about bench press. This course is so needed. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how to do things and how to regress things, how to progress things, and how to recover. Um, clinicians, even if they have lifted regularly, are not often strength coaches or perform. You know, um, they don't typically work with only that population. And even if you are a coach, you may not um, know how to treat or manage injuries. So I think it, it is a really needed, needed thing. Um, because I'm, uh, so one thing I'm sick of hearing, whether it, it's for any kind of athlete, really, or anyone who enjoys a particular activity, is just not to do that activity. There's always ways around modifying the activity and, and doing the things you love. And taking it away completely isn't usually a good answer.
0: Yeah. and to lead right into that with our discussion for today is is recovery. And so from my perspective of what I've seen over the years is people come in and it's like, oh, I can't I just stopped doing this completely because um, I couldn't do it and it was hurting and uh, I tried everything and it just didn't work. And part of that has been diving deeper with these patients and looking at, you know, is it the actual activity that was bothering you or is it something environmentally with your recovery or what you're doing or maybe something you're not doing? And I think these days recovery is looked at as this activity where you have to go to one of these new recovery spas and you sit in the Normatec for an hour and then you get a liquid IV drop and, uh, you know, you're making sure you're sleeping 10 hours and taking all these supplements when really... Don't forget uh, well,
1: about um, pure oxygen too.
0: Yeah, we need to get in the hyperbaric chamber and yep. also the uh, the ice freezer there for thirty seconds. But really, like we, yeah, like you said before, we've gotten along just fine up until this point without these things. And so, what other things are we doing that uh, we can look at as a patient uh, or someone that's in pain that can um, that we can do to get better?
1: Right, I think one of the things is when someone says you know, X exercise ended up making me worse. Uh, I always say it's the two hour rule. The two hour rule in general is if you're doing a certain activity, or in in our case, if we're doing a certain treatment, people say like, oh, so much better or so much worse. Many times you do a mobilization as a therapist, you do some kind of treatment or you prescribe a certain exercise, you're like, oh man, I made me so much worse. Or you think running makes your knees worse, or you think deadlifts make your back worse. Typically, if something's going to make you worse, it's going to, it's going to, flare you up while you're in the middle of doing it and not two to three hours later. If it's two to three hours later or even longer, like uh, the rule is if it flares you up during or especially within two hours of whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a treatment or an exercise or activity, it could be that activity. If it's like 24 hours later, like a lot of patients like, oh, yeah, man, I think you did whatever you did. It made me so much worse. Oh, when did you start hurting? Oh, like two days later or like the next day. If it's the next day and I saw you at like 8, 10 a.m., There is a big space between whatever it is we did that day and everything else you did. There's so many variables. It's often something else that at least added on top of it. I'm not going to completely absolve myself of making you worse, but there's too many variables to say, I only take credit for your worsening within two hours. And and the same thing should be said of your own workouts too, right? The deadlifts make you really make you worse? Or is it the fact that you sat all day before you did deadlifts, you like, Warmed up by going to the locker room to change out of your work clothes, and then you immediately started deadlifting. You know, and then you sat the rest of the day. You went back to your job where you sat the rest of the day. Is it is it all the sitting and the lack of movement variability that's making deadlifts hurt your back, or are deadlifts really bad for your back?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I'll always go back to these things with patients. Of exactly, I'll, I'll use something similar to that two hour window rule as well. And, um, looking at, well, what else did you do that day or the day before that, that could have, you know, potentially flared you up if you will, where, um, like you said, like if deadlifts don't bother you while you're doing them, but you know, if you're doing, if you're a manual labor, uh, or have a manual labor intensive job and you're flexing all day, and then, you know, that seems to hurt your back by the end of the day. And then you go sit on like the chase lounge with your legs up and you're kind of in the slumped bent position all day. We can't just blame deadlifts for that. So a lot of it can just come down to changing your position or um, even like things like overhead press tend to bother some people or people think they bother them. And, you know, if we find they have like a spot positive Sperling's test where we put their head back and that recreates a shoulder pain, Um, but they're spending most of their day overhead and then they sleep on their belly with their head like this in that same position, we can kind of know that those things are going to attribute to a sensitivity there that uh, instead of going to a hyperbaric chamber and all these things, (laughs) what, what would you propose we could do, Erson?
1: Well, I'm really big on movement variability, right? Like for most of my spinal patients and and some of my extremity patients, you know, limbs, say like arms and knees and whatever, I also recommend just go on two regular walks a day. Uh, Make sure that you break up, especially if you have a a sitting job, make sure that you break up sitting as much as possible. Uh, I, I never understood sitting jobs, especially when people have low back pain. They're like, oh man, it hurts so much to sit, but literally you just sit all day and you don't ever change positions. Uh, I, I worked for an insurance company for about five or six years while my clinic was just starting up. And I would always think to myself, I'm going to do one more phone call. I'm going to do one more case. Meanwhile, I actually had raging sciatica. My leg was going numb. And I would just think, I'm just going to do one more case. I could tell I can tolerate it. But you know, before I knew it, four, four or five hours had gone by and it was very hard for me to calm it down then. So I developed this strategy, which I also tell in addition to the just daily walks to kind of break up break up the activities and, and prevent things from like forward bending and sitting to from adding up, I started drinking like 20 ounces of water almost every hour because what I always tell patients is, you're gonna go to the bathroom. When you go to the bathroom, then you end up, um, you know then re- refill the water. And that's, that is enough to, to prevent that from adding up because you're sitting long enough to actually cause your back to hurt or your leg to go numb or your arm to go numb, but you're not gonna pee your own pants. I mean, and, and if you have, if you end up wearing Depends by trying out this strategy, then these strategies are not going to work for you, and there's probably some other issues. But uh, that ends up being a good strategy because people literally have to be reminded. If they're not reminded by their pain, they're going to be reminded by their bladder. So that's that's one of my favorite strategies to tell all spinal patients. And it usually doesn't hurt to be more hydrated anyway, because most people think their urine should be the color of mountain dew, when it should not.
0: This is very true. <laughs> yeah our uh, our 11-year-old came out of the bathroom the other day actually and said uh, my pee was clear is that okay and I was like <laughs> I was like yeah it's a really good thing actually that, that's the color it usually should be yes, she was yes. she was concerned that it was not uh, not a yellow color <laughs>
1: uh
0: but really anyways
1: hydrated
0: yes and uh and these things are so simple i actually had a case similar to this come in the other day of someone i've worked with on and off for a while And, uh, he's had this referred hip pain. He works as a contractor all day and he just goes, drives around to different job sites, gives quotes, uh, but he really doesn't get out of his car much from what I've gathered. And so he's sitting in his car eight to 10 hours a day and not really getting out much. And, uh, every time he gets up, if he, every time he goes on vacation and he's snowmobiling, he's doing all these things, his back and his hip don't bother him. Um, every time he gets back to work, it gets worse. And so... We we discussed a lot of different things and my my treatment plan for him was get out of your car and walk more, do more repeated extensions, uh try to vary your position in your car as much as you can. And he was just flabbergasted that I didn't give him any crazy exercises to do or any crazy manual therapy because he keeps continuing to get better when he just doesn't sit uh in a in a position for a prolonged period of time. It doesn't have right. to be that complicated. It doesn't then,
1: yeah, people are really shocked that they are often doing this to themselves and the solutions can be as simple as move more often. Yeah. Right. The best position is the next position. That's right. Yeah, it's not like you have to sit with a lumbar roll, you have to sit with some kind of pneumatic posture support. If you just moved around, like I'm sitting on a ball right now, I'm just like you just move around a lot more, sitting won't add up. Yeah. Uh,
0: and so we, we talk a lot to, and a lot of people that have seen me before know that I am, uh, big on repeated motions. Uh, a lot of people. Where'd you get
1: that from? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I got it from this guy right here. So, okay. uh, people have done pl- pre- plenty of prone press ups with me, repeated extensions and standing side glides. Uh, people know it as, uh, the little teacup exercise or little teapot exercise, so, uh, Erson, do you want to talk a little bit about that and why some of these exercises can be so important for someone with either back or neck pain or even, you know, lower uh, or upper quarter pain?
1: Sure. Um, the thing with extension and I always liken neck extension where your you know, head, your head is look head and eyes look up. Your forehead should be able to within, um, a certain age range should be able to be forehead parallel to the ceiling, which most people think that's crazy without having to backward bend your back. like you are doing a limbo contest, and your backward be- you should be able to backward bend not quite as much as you forward bend, uh, unless you're like a hypermobile person, like a gymnast or a dancer or something, you should be able to backward bend quite a bit as well. Um, you know, the thing I liken the spine to the elbows, if you think of your elbows, the way that we moved our spine, our elbows would have problems if we treated them just like our spine. So the thing with the elbows is that when we are walking around, our arms are typically straight unless we're running and our elbows are flexed. But most of the time when you're walking around, you, you move your elbows through a full range of motion. Your spine, very simple research, basically shows that the average person bends forward two to 3,000 times a day. And that's independent of deadlifts and squats and any other program that you might be doing or a sport where you're bending forward a lot. Um, and, you know, you add up on to the fact that you are sitting in a slump position In addition to those bending forward two to three thousand times a day, it becomes exceedingly hard to extend your spine. So back to the elbow thing, and what I always tell patients is, if you flexed your elbows two to three thousand times a day, but then instead of holding them at your side straight, you kept them all the way flexed and you held them there the rest of the day. By the time the end of the day, by the time you extended them, how would they feel? Most people say like, oh, it wouldn't feel good. It would feel pretty stiff. But that just after one day, you do this day after day after day, and it really adds up. And then you're like, oh, here, deadlifts are good for runners. Uh, Everyone should do, uh, you know, strength training is great for injury prevention. Yes, it is. But I mean, it's it's injuries and pain tend to happen when your activity exceeds your capacity. And if you don't have the capacity to load or extend, and all of a sudden you end up doing like snatches or deadlifts or something that requires spinal extension, it's not going to feel good if you literally don't go into extension. But if you just extended more regularly, maybe you wouldn't have all that. No back pain.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too, I think is people get fearful of extension sometimes because, um, it can hurt sometimes when they first start to do it. And do you want to, do you want to discuss a little bit about that too? Because we have a lot of patients that will, will start there and they get a little apprehensive of like, I don't know, every time I've bent my back in the past, it's hurt. Uh, so, what kind of things do we need to think about when we're uh trying to restore our extension whether it be in our neck or or our back
1: sure um well i mean this is also a video podcast
0: yeah okay yeah so i have these
1: models right um that are very accurate and they i just show them you know your spine is supposed to extend and it's supposed to flex just like how your elbow is actually supposed to flex and your elbow is supposed to extend for some reason people don't fear hip extension, they don't fear elbow extension, they don't fear knee extension. Uh, And and people always think like, well, I'm gonna crank on my hamstrings, I'm gonna crank on other things, but they don't, not to say that you should crank on your spine, but it's again, goes back to my elbow example. If you do this day after day after day, this is certainly gonna feel stiff and it's certainly, it might even hurt to do if you've been doing, if you've been holding your elbow like this for years and then someone's like, hey, you know what? Start doing this. And it's not like, Pro press-ups and extensions, they're a great exercise, but if you haven't done it in a long time, it's certainly going to feel stiff and possibly hurt, and that's where certain treatments like manual therapy, needling, soft tissue work, that kind of enables you and it kind of convinces your brain that these motions are okay to do and these positions are okay to do, because if you do something enough, your nervous system is either going to say, give it a green light and say, this is okay to do, Um, and then but if you don't if you don't keep up with it at a high enough dosage you just lose the ability to do it again because your brain is always trying to protect you and if it thinks that a spinal extension is dangerous and you 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 know you maybe you go to a chiropractor or a PT they do some manual on you 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 get extension for like an hour or two if you don't keep up with it at a high enough dosage you lose it that's where that whole um term called grooving comes from you know, you know grooving mm-hmm. yeah grooving is kind of like if you're skiing or snowboarding down a mountain, the first couple of times you make the path, it's hard to make the path. So once you make the path, you have to continue grooving that path to make it set. And it's the same thing as with mobility. Mobility is something that also, in a way, you have to train. If you're an athlete and you've lifted a lot, you have a certain training regimen, and you're you're you know, you're um disciplined enough to actually lift at a high enough intensity to hypertrophy and build up muscle. But if you don't train mobility, if you just kind of stretch when you need to, assuming mobility is the problem, but you don't groove it, it's just, you don't groove the path, it's just going to snow and the path is going to be gone again. Mobility is something that needs to be trained and, and it needs to be loaded. It's not only that stretching needs, needs to be done, but I, one of my favorite things is to gain the mobility and then load it with weights. In the new, mobili- new mobility. It's not just like active motion only. Resisted into the new range is also very important. You need to, to load up those joints as well. So,
0: well. Well, on that aspect too, I don't even tell people we're stretching anymore uh, yeah. because I think stretching has a connotation that it's something you do when it hurts or anything else where we do mobility training where this is going to be a regular part of your regimen where we need to do this regularly, you know, hopefully daily, maybe three to four times a week, depending on the intensity and the duration of it. But it is, it's certainly something that can be part of your training uh, or maybe this is part of training your recovery and just getting you out of the positions that you're in all day. Uh, Again, we're flexing our spine two to 3,000 times a day. Recovery can be extending the other way um, just a few times an hour even.
1: Yeah, it could be going for walks. It could be swimming. It could—you Recovery doesn't mean sitting around and being a sloth. If you're one of those type A who needs to literally do something every day, um, you might need to actually take a break and literally do nothing like once a week. I mean, it might be good for you. You know, have a beer or or wine or something. Listen to relaxing music or do some mindfulness. But I mean, if you're one of those people that absolutely cannot sit still, like I used to be when I was in my 20s, you know, I just like slap BFR cups on and go for a walk to make it seem like I'm still like getting a, a little bit of workout and you might get a little bit of increased human growth hormone release with that. So you can still be active on your recovery days, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't resemble a heavy intensity of what you're doing on your training days. Cause that's, again, it, it's easy. It's an easy thing to remember. The injury or pain happens when your training or activity exceeds your capacity. You just have to build up a high enough capacity to do the things that your training involves.
0: And I think uh, another question too that I think a lot of my patients or prior patients would have is with extension, and I I get a lot of uh, nerdy coaches and things too that like to nerd out over some of these things, but sometimes it's almost unexplainable. If we find, you know, with through your course and things too, if any other clinicians are out there listening to this, but we'll find limitations in lateral tibial glide, knee internal rotation, hip internal rotation. And then sometimes I'll just put someone in prone on elbows or, or a prone press up for a few minutes and all of a sudden it goes away and then it goes away.
1: They're all better. Yeah.
0: And uh, why is that? So, so what is it about getting our spine out of flexion all day and turning it into ex- or giving it some extension? What happens there?
1: Well, there's a lot of theories. I mean, the easiest way to look at it is like the neck rules the upper body roost and and the low back rules the lower body roost and i've seen people who have been referred to me for testicular pain and extension made them better i had a guy who had turf toe he kicked something he couldn't do planks or push-ups and extensions made him better and it really seemed like a turf toe, but uh no, no kind of toe treatment made it better but spinal expansion made it better the guy who was referred to me for testicular pain i'm like i don't know why Your doctor referred me, but I'm going to try this. And luckily, his testicular pain got better. I didn't palpate it, by the way. He just knew that he had testicular pain. Um, Well, yeah, I think the easiest way to explain to clinical or non-clinical is that flexion tends to also place a load, a neurodynamic load, meaning like a stretching stretching type uh, or extensibility type load on the nervous system. So if you have hip limitations, knee limitations – your, arm, your nerves move between your muscles and your bones. I always say just like, assuming you don't have a super tight fitting shirt, it should move like, with, with, um, like your arm in a, in a loose fitting sleeve. So if any part of the sleeve is tight, then that nerve could be a little restricted. Plus uh, when, you, when you flex your head, you flex your hips, you're essentially playing tug of war with the nervous system. Like if I was trying to get you know, hamstring or hip extensibility, but I'm always flexing, and I'm never extending, flexing places load on the nervous system from the spinal cord down to the nerve root. So you're always going to have less mobility at the distal end. If I pull on my head, like if I flexing forward and flexing my trunk forward, I'm pulling the spinal cord upward, but then I'm also trying to like stretch my hamstring or stretch my hip in some kind of like, you know, like frog position or something like that, like tactical frog or whatever it's called. Um, If if, if you're doing that and your head is all flexed, like maybe try doing it with your spine and your head extended because that way you're slacking. If I, if I gave a lot of slack from, from the top of the rope, the other end of the rope is going to have more mobility. And that's, that's one of the theories as to at least why I think extension, because it ends up slacking so many things. It also ends up slacking muscles that are typically tight, right? So slacking muscles that are tight would be like previously when a muscle has tight, tight tone, that'd be like trying to get your arm not to move easily but when you extend things, now the sleeve is loose, so the nerves can slide and glide a lot easier. That's why I think you know, spinal cord, spinal extension helps. Plus, also from a lumbar, but not so much cervical standpoint, let's see if you can see this here. Where is my cut? So, can you see this? Yep. That's yeah. a good view. It should be a, a a blue nucleus that kind of pops out with with flexion, so the blue nucleus should pop out. Do you see that?
0: hmm yep.
1: So, simply, it- if you have like a, a spinal, if you have like a, an actual disc issue, flex, a lot of flexion makes the, makes the nucleus pop out. Oh, or there go. extension makes it go in. So this that- is actually a, a specific model that I had developed for me where the guy who, the chiropractor who invented these things and actually literally hand makes them. They're amazing models. <laughs> He, you know, his was red and I'm like, well, can we make a blue nucleus? Because red nucleus always makes it seem like old flamed. And, you know, from a clinical perspective, it's nocebo. I'm like, let's just make it blue. So this is my blue nucleus model.
0: For anyone just listening to this, uh, on a podcast, (laughs) you'll have to go back and look at our YouTube video because that's the coolest spine model I've ever seen. And I might have to get one of those.
1: (laughs) I'll send you the link.
0: Yeah. Um, and kind of to wrap this up a little bit, um. Are there certain individuals or certain reasons people shouldn't extend their spines like this?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are three outcomes of any possible treatment, movement strategy, exercise, whatever. Uh, it's better, worse, or no change. And people shouldn't extend or close down or load if it makes them worse. And worse isn't during the treatment. It is the, last, the, no, the lasting effect because someone could actually have technically have pain every single time they do the motion, but if overall they feel better and they're walking and they're moving around, they have better mobility afterward. it's technically okay. That's not really what I like to do. I I like to actually make the the treatments be as pain-free as possible and then have the net result of being better. Um, But typically, again, if you think about someone who is in extension all day, they may actually need to flex. Uh, Like my wife is someone who typically has fear avoidance um, of flexion. She... Doesn't like the flex too much she doesn't like doing deadlifts she doesn't have great posterior chain mobility she loves extension she does extensions all the time um and you know after we've had several of our kids we have six kids so they're experienced at that um you know she's like oh my back hurts we treat me and usually what she means by that is can i have a massage and, and, and normally i'll say like oh have you been doing your extensions have, you know been doing your exercises so she's like i right, tried my extensions and this is again shortly after we had we had a child but they're not working. I'm like, oh, well, let's try flexion. Because if you think about someone who has, has been in a huge anterior pelvic tilt, stuck in extension for an, for an entire third trimester, that's three months of being more in extension than flexion. Other patients who I know, um, you know if you're a sway back, like meaning that like, you're overall stiff, if, if when you're standing up, your shoulders actually are in back of your pelvis, the majority of the time you're upright, you are extended, you actually might need flexion. Um, but Mackenzie, who kind of came up with the whole concept of repeated loading, when I got certified in 2004, we're talking about a, a clinician who loaded someone 50, 60 times in deflection, 50, 60 times in extension, or even more. I've seen his diplomats extend someone for 45 minutes before they made a conclusion, which is really boring to me. But, you know, that's how the decision process goes. I kind of take lots of shortcuts. Mackenzie himself, when I got certified in 2004, said he had never seen an an anterior derangement, which is what I call flexion rapid responder, meaning he had never seen someone rapidly respond to flexion. It's just, it's not impossible. It's not a a unicorn in Santa Claus, uh, but it's rare because the majority of people are flexing so much, but they're getting certain body types, maybe even certain jobs or even certain injuries. I also saw someone once who fell in her garden, but she fell in like a super hyper extended position. Um, She responded to flexion too. Because their injury was extension. Most people have an injury based on flexion, and plus they've already they've already been flexing their entire life, then they go to a clinician who all they do is unload and stretch more. Um, there's variations on flexion, and that's why it's not working because it's just more of the same thing. But there but there's not a one-size-fits-all, it's not extension helps everyone. It's just that based on the law of averages, since most people are flexing and unloading, extension seems to be a more novel and um, a more novel solution.
0: Mm. So the moral of the story is: uh, if we want to recover better, make our joints and our body feel better, and perform at a higher level, we should typically go in the opposite direction of where we usually are.
1: Usually, yep. yeah, yeah. Usually, it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Just, uh, just move, move well, move often, and move in the full range, your full available range, as much as possible. Don't take don't take your spine for granted um, and just extend it as well. We extend most of our other joints, with the exception probably of our hips. Other, all, most of our other joints kind of go through at least 80% of range or so, but not our spines. Our spines are kind of like, oh, we'll just, we'll just stick to this 50% of forward. Forget mm-hmm. about that backward.
0: We'll protect it as much as we can. Yeah, um, we'll
1: never go backward.
0: Yeah. And, um, Erson, is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: No, hey, you know what? If you find this stuff useful, I do post a lot of stuff, which is generally helpful just to athletes and and the public as well. You can follow me at Modern Manual Therapy on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Cool. Look out for our uh, Modern Barbell Therapy course coming soon for PTs and for uh, coaches as well. And any PTs, OTs, athletic trainers, chiro, sport, sport, uh, rehab-minded chiros, curious people, I guess.
0: Yeah, literally pretty much anyone that wants to learn more about um, dealing with strength athletes or people that like to lift weights that are in pain and you don't feel like you have the best handle on managing them as a movement provider, um, I would say this would be a good course for you. And so, yes, if you guys have any questions, um, I would definitely follow Erson's content. Like he said, Uh, you can also shoot me a message as well at barbell.therapy on Instagram or shoot us an email through our website, barbelltherapyandperformance.com. Um, I can answer some questions too as well about what the course will contain as we've recorded most of it now and we're just finishing up the, time, the uh, final touches on it before we put it out there. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I hope to see you next time. Give them five-star rating. That's right. Yeah, add, th- 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 throw <laughs> us a five-star rating on uh, on the Google, Spotify, whatever podcast or wherever you, listen, you to. listen to
1: podcasts or wherever you
0: listen to podcasts, because that's one thing I haven't done yet as I'm uh, trying to grow this podcast is ask for, uh, for ratings and, and subscriptions. So please subscribe right. to it too. All right. Uh, thank you, Harrison.